and thank you for listening to Roots and Wings, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. I'm Jonquil Newland, the director of Kids Central TN. The COVID-19 pandemic created some major changes for students and teachers alike. To try and prevent the spread of the virus, school districts across Tennessee had to decide how to continue academics, whether that was in a classroom, at home, or a combination of both. In March, it will be one year since those changes took place. Understandably, the pandemic has caused a lot of challenges for students and teachers, with many parents concerned their children are falling behind with a virtual learning. But what about those students who need a structured routine and more one-on-one time with educators? I'm referring to students with disabilities. Teresa Nichols is the Assistant Commissioner of Special Populations with the Tennessee Department of Education, and she joins me now. Teresa, thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And this has been uh, honestly a topic that not only some of my colleagues at the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth have been interested about, but I know several people across the state, actually, who they themselves do have uh, students with disabilities or children, children with disabilities. And so this is definitely, I think, going to be a topic a lot of people want to listen to. But I, my first question, let me just ask you this, Teresa, is can you kind of discuss how the disability community has been impacted by this past year in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that this past year has been a challenge for all of us. But when we think about the ways in which children with disabilities learn and the supports that they need in school, that's had to look a lot different this year. Um, and the ways in which schools have had to adjust have um, has been a real challenge for not only um, the, the, the schools and, and, the, and the educators, but for the families as well. Um, a lot of the support structures that have traditionally been provided within the school building are now shifting into families' homes. Um, and uh, families are having to support their children's learning in ways that um, that they haven't in the past. Um, and so um, beyond just the way that the pandemic has impacted our daily lives, schooling for sure, um, the education of, of students with disabilities has been, has really had to shift this year. Absolutely. And I know we'll probably get into that just a little bit uh, later into this podcast as well. But you you raise a few points, Teresa, that I want to bring back to or, or circle back to. Um, but as I br- briefly mentioned, uh, we know there's a lot of concern about how to get children back into the classroom right now, like state legislators are even having special sessions about it. And it's not only for academic reasons, but also because students' social and emotional needs have been greatly impacted as well. And I can only imagine this is amplified for students who are used to having a lot more one-on-one time with educators. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the need for structure, the need for prompting, the need for um, more of that one-on-one assistance is is certainly something that has continued during this this year. And you know, those needs have not dissipated simply because our uh, learning environments um, look different in some cases. So within a remote learning environment, we're really seeing that educators are um, finding innovative ways to provide some of those needed touch points. Um, we're seeing uh, where special educators and teaching assistants are able to uh, use the virtual platforms, um, whether that's you know online or whether that's even through 
um, you know, phone calls and, and, um, and other touch points to provide some of that prompting during instruction, to provide some of that small group instruction, um, and to provide some of those materials to families to be able to support learning um, that's happening at home. Um, so we're definitely seeing where we're having to think outside of the box um, to address some of that um, those support needs that have always existed and are now needing to be provided in a different way. Um, so, yeah, for sure, that's that's absolutely a concern um, for for all students, but in particular students with disabilities. You know, how do we provide that needed support? Absolutely. I, I know at least one family uh, with with their child who does have a disability when they're in school, they they have an, an assistant that kind of is right there with them throughout some of their school day. Um, and now that it's all mostly virtual learning that that obviously that assistant's not there. And, and now families are also I'm assuming please correct me if I'm wrong, Teresa, but I'm assuming if the resources aren't being provided, some families are having to go out of their pocket to get those resources to try and get more educational assistance in the home or and things like that is is that something that's actually happening do you think um, I've heard stories I've heard some some anecdotes about you know families kind of looking into uh, other ways that they can facilitate some of that support at home um, we're encouraging parents to reach out to their IEP teams um, IEP teams are really the teams that make individual decisions for how a student will be provided that free and appropriate public education. And we can talk about that a little bit too and you know what that kind of what that looks like in a virtual setting. But if a if a family is feeling as though they need some additional supports in order to in order for their child to access their education, then it's really important that the IEP team has an opportunity to hear those concerns and to brainstorm ways that they can facilitate that at the at the school level. Um, and that could, again, mean some adjustments to the types of supports that are being provided remotely. Um, it could mean that the team needs to look at different placements as far as, you know, whether students are prioritized for in-person instruction, um, whether school districts are able to provide any in-home supports. Those are all things that are decided at that local level, um, but really need to be discussed by the IEP team. Um, so that that would certainly be the guidance that we would provide to families that are really struggling with how to manage the types of supports that students are needing at home. Great advice, Teresa. Thank you so much. Um, when it comes to families who maybe have tried to reach out? Is it a slow process or is it something that they should kind of hear back from folks pretty quickly if they actually have gotten to that point where they know they need help and are reaching out? What's the best way? And I guess, where can they go to get that IEP team resource? Yeah, the um, parents, anyone on the IEP team can request an IEP meeting at any time. You do not have to wait until your uh, your annual IEP review. So it's required that IEP teams review those plans at least once a year. There is nothing to prevent anyone from the IEP team. Um, there's nothing to prevent them from scheduling an IEP meeting at any point to address concerns. So if, if you have those concerns, you do not have to wait until your annual review. You can reach out to your child's special education teacher, your child's general education teacher, your child's administrator, school administrator, principal, assistant principal, and request an IEP meeting. Um, and that meeting um, must be held within 10 school days 
um, from from the time that it's requested. So uh, yes, there should be a prompt response to a parent's request for an IEP meeting. Thank you so much for that information, Teresa. And when you talked a little bit about the IEP teams, I know everyone recently has gone vir- virtual. Was that a challenge for the IEP teams to do since they are so good at one-on-one interaction? You know, that that's actually a good question. And, and surprisingly, I would say that that's likely one of the lessons learned, one of the silver linings of, of this um, situation and that we are actually hearing from from school districts that IEP participation has gone up um, significantly during this time because of those virtual options being made available. I mean, it, when you think about it, you know, it's it's quite a challenge for families to take time off of work, um, perhaps find childcare for their children, their you know, the younger siblings, um, and drive into the school. For some families, that's just intimidating, um, you know, to, to come into the school building and, and sit across the conference room table, um, you know, from a from a, you know a group of professionals that um, you know hold this knowledge about their child, um, and so whether parents and family members are able to participate through a virtual platform like Zoom, or whether they're able to use their their phones to call in on a conference line, um, I think that participation in this virtual setting has actually increased um, and has facilitated more engagement and collaboration than ever before. So I would anticipate that might be one of those practices that continues at least as an option for IEP teams moving forward. Wow, I didn't realize that. Thank you so much for sharing. And we're obviously talking a lot about IEP teams and and parents and guardians interacting with these folks. But in regards to the actual students, do you have any data in front of you, Teresa, over the last, well, since last March, really, since the pandemic in 2020, let's just say that any data just kind of showcasing how students with disabilities, if they're performing better or at the same level? I know, obviously, a lot of people have concerns that students are falling behind just virtually in general. But do you see, are you seeing the same things with with students with disabilities? We're still in the process of collecting more data um, on on student performance. Students with disabilities are assessed using metrics oftentimes that are more discreet um, than what we would typically see on, for example, a state assessment or a benchmark assessment. Um, Students with disabilities that have um, goals in their IEPs, for example, are going to be assessed on performance related to skills like fine motor or speech language. Um, And those are not data that we have um, at our fingertips at the state level. Um, You know, those are definitely um, questions that we're going to be asking and, and things that we're going to be looking at as we work with school districts to identify the need for remediation supports and compensatory education services to make up for any of that lost instruction or any regression that we might see um, over the course you know of of this last year now certainly I would say that there are there are predictions there are definitely um, 
you know, hypotheses about uh, what this um, time of virtual learning could could mean. But the reality is that it, the experience has been different for all kids, um, and that includes students with disabilities. Some students are thriving um, in a remote learning environment because they have those, you know, pressures, those social pressures, um, you know, in some cases relieved, or their home is a safe place, and so learning is something that, um, you know, is occurring more easily um, and then we have other students with perhaps more significant disabilities that might be um, you know more greatly impacted by uh, disruptions to their normal school day so um, I think that's a great question and one that we're going to continue to explore you know Teresa it's, it's also a reminder that <clears throat> while we might all be feeling what, what I like to call pandemic fin- fatigue at this point Um, because it's really almost been a year, but we're still at the very beginning of this. So everything that, you know, the data we kind of will be collecting is it's, it's good to know that we have that information. And it's also, it's hard to know at the same time, I, you know, what if something were in place, like no one could have expected a a global pandemic. No one was expecting something like this. (laughs) So, but it's just one of those things like we're collecting data and then we'll know about it maybe a year from now. It's just like, oh, (laughs) it can only be frustrating a little bit. Yeah. And, and you're trying to respond in real time. You know, right. you want to try to mitigate. I think that's probably where I would say uh, most educators are right now. We're, we're trying to mitigate as best we can the potential for regression, the potential for lost instruction. And so that's really been the focus of the department, um, even just in the last week. You know, when we see some of, as you mentioned, the special session and some of the work that's coming out of the legislature, you know, I I think that without having the full set of um, data that shows the impact, we want to be sure to mitigate those impacts and the effect um, as much as possible. Because if we wait too long, you know, to have, you know, um, you know, perhaps all the information that we wish we had right now, you know, it could be too late. Um, so uh, I think a lot of us are just kind of working on, to some degree, you know, a set of assumptions or, you know, worst case scenarios, um, but know that every child's experience has been different. Absolutely. We both kind of mentioned briefly the special sessions that have, is happening here uh, with Tennessee legislators. But back when schools closed last spring, the federal government stated that everything within the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, it would continue to be enforced. And I, I have to can only imagine with the changes that has happened this year, that's been very difficult for schools to implement. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think, uh, you know, yes, the IDEA is a very broad federal law that includes um, a lot of different protections for students with disabilities and their families. Um, and certain aspects of the law are going to be easier to implement than others in this, you know, remote learning or, um, you know, just global pandemic. You're, you're exactly right. There's nothing in the IDEA that has been waived. I think that the, the, the hardest aspect of special education in general, I would say right now, is this idea of a free appropriate public education that every child with a disability is entitled to. And I think for, if you think about what we're trying to do for all kids right now, how do you define what is appropriate? Um, You know, how do you define, you know, for all kids, what access to general education looks like? And then you think about the types of supports that students with disabilities need in order to access that 
that instruction. I think that that has been the hardest, that the hardest aspect of IDEA to implement, to def- well, to define, to define first and foremost, to implement, and then to, um, you know, hold accountable. So, you know, we, we continue to work with school districts in, w- around this very issue. I think that for students that are most significantly impacted by their disability, I'm thinking about students who, um, you know, um, are nonverbal, for students who have, um, you know, physical disabilities that make the manipulation of um technology difficult, who have, um, you know, assistive technology needs, um, or who, let's just say, you know, um, are unable to participate um, in some of the um, engagement opportunities through in remote instruction because they struggle with reading and writing. Um, so, you know, we continue to work with school districts to brainstorm ways that they can consider at the individual IEP team level different ways to ensure that faith is being provided to every student in their school district. Absolutely point to, to that aspect of the law as being the most challenging. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up a lot of good points, Teresa, in just regards that <clears throat> all educators, not just educators of students with disabilities, but all educators, my mother being one of them here in Tennessee, um, flexibility, I guess, is the word that I keep hearing a lot. Flexibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Teachers are great at that. Yeah. I mean, their teachers are nothing if not creative and flexible um, and, and they can adapt on the fly. So I've been so incredibly impressed with some of the innovative ways that teachers have found to reach their students and, um, you know, and to adapt the environment for their children with disabilities. What are some of the best resources that are available for parents and guardians who are attempting to, to teach students with IEPs at home now. Um, can you kind of list those or are there certain website or links that you would even be willing to share? Yeah, I think first and foremost, what's important to remember here is that parents are critical supports, but they're not the teacher. And I and I think that a lot of parents right now are taking on that burden of, of you know, um, of being that, in, that instructor. And so it's okay to reach out to the to, to your child's teacher. It's it's okay, you know, again to schedule an IEP meeting and to say that you know this isn't working. I need a break. If if parents are, I want to say at their breaking point, but you know, it, it's okay to ask for help. Um, a lot of parents have, are feeling very overwhelmed, especially those with with children with disabilities. If they're trying to work from home and also monitor what their children are doing online, well, that's any parent, but especially those who might try to be a little bit more conscious of what's going on with their children. Absolutely. Oh, and, and, you know, students with disabilities by, by definition, you know, they are uh, requiring specialized instruction. Students who are eligible for special education have, have been determined by a team to need specialized instruction. And so, you know, how those students are supported in a remote learning environment is absolutely a challenge. And, and I can see for a parent who is at home trying to provide those supports, um, you know, needing to reach out to the school for additional assistance. Um, so again, you know, I would, I would, I would first and foremost encourage you to have that open line of communication between your child's teacher um, and to ask for additional resources. We do have some toolkits and some resources for families available on the department's website. Um, we also have um, 
through the, our family engagement contract with the Ark of Tennessee, um, some resources compiled as well for families of children with disabilities, including links to other contracted supports that are available through um, you know, some of our partners at Vanderbilt when it comes to addressing the needs of students with autism, um, when it comes to addressing challenging behaviors. Um, so we have, again, those links uh, on the special education webpage of the department's website, um, and I encourage you to check those out as well. Again, the ARC of Tennessee uh, is our family engagement partner, and they have a wealth of resources for families right now that are trying to navigate this remote learning environment. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I will make sure our listeners have access to those links on the main page of this podcast. If you're listening and you would like to learn more, just head over to the main page. My last question I'd like to ask you, Teresa, is just in regards to those parents, and you kind of touched on this already, but the parents and guardians who might just be getting to that point of, I'm I'm getting, I'm tired, I feel overwhelmed, and I'm just... I want this to be over and we're nowhere near over yet. (laughs) What's the best advice uh, just as an educator for those parents and guardians and even for, for teachers and staff who might also work closely with students with disabilities? I think that the advice that I would have to a parent right now would likely be my, would be me putting on my parent hat. So me talking to a parent as a, another parent and not, the assistant commissioner, assistant commissioner of special populations. I think that the most important job that we have as parents is to love our kids and to support our kids. And this time will pass and it doesn't feel like it will. To your point earlier, it feels like we've been doing this forever. It feels like there's no end in sight, but this time will pass. And what's most important for for us parents is to maintain that loving relationship that we have with our children um, and the challenges associated with remote learning, um, with virtual instruction, at the end of the day shouldn't impede that relationship. Keeping those things that are most important at the forefront and keeping things in perspective. Yes, education is important. Yes, schooling is important, but we will have opportunities to recover. We will have opportunities um, to remediate and to address these um, these gaps or disruptions in our child's education. Do the best you can and reach out for help. I think those would probably be um, the biggest um, points that I would want to communicate to parents right now. Great advice. Great advice, Teresa. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for speaking so candidly about this. Is there anything that I did not ask or, or bring up? Is there anything that you would like to make sure our listeners are thinking about as we move through this year? I think the biggest thing is just, I think you've asked it, but just to, just to reiterate the fact that help is out there and to reach out um, and, and to be persistent. Um, don't suffer alone at home um, thinking that there is, that you're alone or that there's no one um, there to, to help reach out to other families that are going through similar, um, that are going through similar situations, um, reach out to your child's school. Um, there might not always be an easy answer 
to the challenges. I think, you know, um, remembering that that we're all learning together, we're all trying to figure this out. And if any one of us had the, all the answers, you know, um, we, we wouldn't be where we are today, right? I mean, as right, you mentioned right. earlier, no one could have predicted this. Um, no one knew this was coming. And so um, have have grace um, with those that are on your team, um, you know, and, and reach out for help when you need it. Absolutely. Great advice. Again, uh, Teresa, thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll see you again next month.